Welcome back to Call Time with Katie Bierenbaum. I've been so pleased with the responses to the last two episodes. We're really on a roll, and it was such a joy for me to talk all things shy, the Mary Rogers memoir with Jesse Green, its co-author. It was really my favorite kind of episode in that Jesse is obviously an expert in all things Mary Rogers, old Broadway, New York, and everything else the book covered, including feminism and anti-Semitism and also other topics we talked about, like the writing of the book itself. So if any of the above are interesting to you, I really recommend checking it out and listening to the audiobook, which we mentioned on the episode as being read by Jesse himself, playing himself, as well as the great Christine Baranski. So that sounds like it should be really a treat. Switching gears a bit today, we are back to talking with wonderful friends of mine. This person happens to be a wonderful actor, musician, songwriter, and very close friend of mine. My guest went to Baldwin Wallace University, where she studied. Did you study musical theater or music? Music theater, but it's a Bachelor of Music. Okay, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Before moving to New York City and pursuing her career, for which she's been hugely successful, I met her on her first professional show out of college, a production of Hair at Berkshire Theatre Group, and she went on to star in Life After at the Old Globe and the developmental workshops and out-of-town tryouts for the Griswold's Broadway Vacation, obviously based on the Chevy Chase intellectual property. In addition to all of this, she's developed for herself a flourishing career as a singer-songwriter where she goes by her middle name, Morning Glory. I'm going to talk to her about balancing those two careers simultaneously, making it in New York, music, and so much more. So without further ado, Livy Markins. (laughs) And we're doing this like the episode I had two weeks ago with my friend Patty Wilcox. We're doing this in person, which is rare for call time. How do you feel to be one of the few in-person guests? I feel so special. I have my ginger tea. I can see your real live face. It's awesome. I'm so glad you're here. I actually was, because I was trying to organize myself the other week being like, I need these guests on the pod coming up. I always try to do it a couple of weeks in advance. And I couldn't believe that you hadn't been on before. Really? Yeah. I'm powerful. I feel like we've asked you before and then maybe both of us forgot or something. Maybe. Yeah. You, I think before I left for Seattle, you were like, you should be on the pod. And I was like, no, nah, get someone famous. And you were like, ha, ah, no, but really. And I was like, all right. <laughs> Are you sure? And then you left for Seattle and did a big gonna... Broadway show. So it was a big fat show. show. We're definitely going to talk about it. For now, I want to start at the beginning. A very good place to start, as they say. Mm-hmm. And I want to. I asked almost all my guests this question, and I know you're a listener, which is really yeah, nice to, really to hear. Am. So you probably know the question, which is, can you think of like a light bulb or aha moment from your childhood when you were like, oh, theater is for me? But I'm also curious if it was music first for you or theater. I think it was definitely theater first only because they didn't seem like different things to me for a very long time, especially when I was young i started like doing theater when i was seven because apparent according to my parents i was being like extra at the beach and they knew, what does that mean it's just loud yeah loud sand throwing everything is a, a spectacle and they were like that theater in foxborough is auditioning for annie if we can get her in by the end of the day maybe she'll have like some somewhere to put all this was it annie your first yes. show and so i went to this audition in in one of those 90s like dixie cup patterned swimsuit covered in sand and saying i don't even know what and books because i think they were like this girl's an orphan she is truly covered in sand who but were you I was Molly, the one with the stuffy Of nose. course you were <laughs> Molly. The tallest one, the yeah. cutest one. Yes, I was and continue to be short. So sure. That's, like huge... that's helpful when playing Molly. It's actually helpful forever, I would say. I do have some questions about that because you have made a career of like playing Being a child. teenagers <laughs> when you are 29. Can I reveal the podcast? Do you tell I... people your age or no because it's so in your interest to appear young? I will say, when I was turning 28 in Seattle, 
um, wonderful women in my cast. I was like, oh my God, it's my birthday. What are we going to do? Are people going to post a happy 28th? Oh my God, I make my career off being a teen. And one woman I in my cast was just like, what? So I was like, okay. So everybody in my cast posted happy 24th and did the happy 24th living. Like, <laughs> I'm so sweet. And Hunter was like, 24 years young. I'm so, oh, I'm honored. So funny. It got to the point where our stage manager was like, 24, big year. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's why but I am 29. You're right. So this past birthday, according to Instagram, was my 25th. Wow. Yeah. That's fun. You get to be 25 again. How does it feel to relive your late 20s? Now? I would never want to live that, relive that year. That was Ever. pandemic vibes, wasn't it, for all of us? Yeah. yeah. We're the exactly the same age. Virgos forever. Okay, so you booked this Annie show. Booked Annie in Foxborough, which is Southern Mass. And the following year I, I played Annie, I got promoted in this yearly production of Annie. But... By that point, I was pretty hellbent on being on stage because the local high school theater group did Fiddler on the Roof, and I lost my mind. I mean, everybody in the whole family called me Zeitel for <laughs> years. I was wearing like like dish towels as like little kerchiefs and dancing with brooms and don't think I understood the historical implications of Fiddler. And I was like, all I want to do is live in Anatevka. My parents were like, yeah they sing there i was like and model is such a he's obsessed with her <laughs> i think that was part of it for me too was i was like there's a revolutionary who's serious don't like him there's a christian guy who's also serious i don't like him but one of these guys is hot excited and obsessed and i think that was part of the reason why i wanted to be title and then i played kava a bunch later in life yeah i see you more as a kava yeah that's a really sure. interesting. I mean, we've talked about this, the difference between us and our taste in men potentially, but <laughs> I was always so attracted to Perchik from the very yeah, beginning of that's true. As you say, Russian revolutionary who's serious? Yes, yeah. please. Yeah, it's hot. Like, I was like, <laughs> yes, I'll go to Siberia for you. Yeah, that's right. Huge sacrifices were made. Huge sacrifices. Whereas Seidel just gets to stay home with her parents and have a sewing machine. Yes. And a baby egg. Yeah, which is another thing that I love. I love babies. You do and love babies. Sewing. There you go. Oh, what is that? I wonder if that informed my love of sewing. Is my obsession with model and Seidel. Did you start sewing after that? I bought a sewing machine in 2021. And it has just become something that I really love to do. But did you know how to do it beforehand? No. That's so crazy that you taught yourself how to sew. I don't know. I wish I did that. I wish I had anything like that to show for the pandemic. I guess I learned to cook. That's good. The pandemic? So it, parts of it were really great for me. It lined up at a time in my life that was like helpful. Yeah. I had just gotten to finals and not booked three Broadway shows in a row. It was like, boom, devastating. And then I was like, I'm not going to audition for a while. I think maybe I need to take a break. And then that was like January. And then theater disappeared, didn't exist anymore. And I was like, my break is happening to everybody. And I was able to cut a record. Also, like the pandemic, I was working more during the pandemic than I ever had in my life. I was a full-time nanny the entire time. So I don't see the pandemic as I was broke and I was stuck inside. It was more like I was working constantly and I was stuck inside. And normally my life looks a lot like working constantly and then being really busy when I'm not working. Yeah. But I felt like when I wasn't working, I could do whatever I wanted. So I would get home from work every day and like actually work on my music and I was lucky enough that like my pod was a bunch of other musicians so cutting a record didn't seem that daunting I was like you guys aren't busy I know because I know I think the point in the pandemic when everybody started to go crazy was around the same time that I started to go crazy which is a year in yeah before that it was already yeah March 2021 was pretty yeah that was yeah I sometimes, this is so, I don't know if this is like a healthy practice, but like sometimes to just get perspective, I'll scroll up on my camera roll and just dangerous. Like, what the fuck was going on at that time? 
just so that I don't get into this mindset of everything was better a couple of years ago and now it's really hard and yeah I know a lot of people have a lot of agita about the like we said like the state of the industry which like is valid I think any kind of angst that anyone's having about art right now is probably pretty valid but the alternative of nothing is not a good one no and I think we always knew that or I think if we thought about it for a second we always knew that we wouldn't be able to snap our fingers and return to the same state of the arts. Right. And I think that's true across the board. I think the fact that SAG is still striking proves that. Yes. I think the WGA strike proves that. So it's, I think theater, the fact that we haven't had a strike doesn't really say that things have been fine. I think we've been in as right. much turmoil as the movie industry. Yeah. It's, I recently did stand up for the first time, which was you crazy. did. Yeah, how come you didn't invite me? I didn't want anyone that I knew. Where'd you do it? Just that's like a big venue yeah, to I know do it your first stand up. Grace Aki, a wonderful, beautiful person that I love. A was lot. it a tight five? What did you do? It was like a tight ten. It was like five minutes of of stand up and five minutes of a song that I had written that was funny about farting on a first date. The premise, the joke of the song was that like feeling of waking up next to somebody after a one night stand and being like, this was really fun, but like you have to leave. There's nothing worse. And if you're at their place and then you're like, I have to go, I have to yeah. go. I want to keep hanging out, but like, I have to. Yeah, that, that was my song. That's funny. That's bringing me back to this guy that I dated my first year in New York who lived in Williamsburg, where. Like right off the Bedford stop. Because it was 2016 and he was working for Vice News. No. (gasps) Yeah. Bro, that's... I'll probably have to go. What a time capsule. I was attracted to him because one of his photos on Bumble was him. He had gotten arrested at a Trump rally. Okay. All I care about Vice News is... I think they did that Skatopia documentary. They did, yeah. Anyone who was involved in that, I want to know. Yeah, so he lived in this huge loft in Williamsburg. Yeah. That didn't have actual kitchen shelves, I remember. They had bought oh those God. temporary metal shelves. Yes. I'm sure it's a cavo now. I'm sure it <laughs> is. Williamsburg's changed, bro. I live there, as we know. That's Some Brooklyn. of us know. I live in Williamsburg. Look, don't dox yourself, though. Okay, I live in Brooklyn. I think that's clear to anyone listening. Wait, we need to get back on topic. So, Fiddler. But I also know that you, and I said, you have this other burgeoning career as a singer-songwriter along with the theater. Were you guys listening to the James Taylor, the Carol King in your house all the time? So was that part of your artistic education as well? Yeah, that was huge. My parents were really into the the No Nukes concert, Troubadour crew. Sure, <laughs> that's familiar. Yeah. Yes. It was that, it was the spirit of Massachusetts. It feels very Massachusetts to me, especially the James Taylor thing. Where he, he, like, cut a record at Fenway. It's, like, that energy. And that informed my life to a certain extent. But I think because a lot of the music my parents were playing was, like, very lyrics forward, it felt the same yeah. as music or mm. musical theater. It was all beautiful words. And it all felt the same to me until... When I, I got a little older and I started to get really into music and like the music kids as friends, primarily because A, I was in band and I refused to quit because I didn't want to go to choir. And B, like I was, the theater girls growing up for me were just like such bullies. And I had a really tough time like fitting in with theater kids and still do. And I found a lot of companionship in my friends from band. I'm actively in a relationship with somebody I met in high school band. Like it's this literally is like a big part of my life. But I just I needed when I was younger, I needed two things to emotionally regulate, which was like music, loving music a lot hard and getting into trouble. And I don't see theater kids really doing that in the same way that I needed to in order to just get through the day. And anonymity. Like, from the jump, I was show ponied around as, like, somebody with a good singing voice, which is so laughable because now I am actively in this industry and it's everyone has the best voice 
from their high school or from their college yeah. program or whatever. But at the time, I was like doing school assemblies for the whole school and garnering a lot of love from teachers and hate from students energy, which I think is like a pretty common story for kids who did theater pretty young. I also I went to stage door and I got an agent while I was there. So I was like going back. To- I actually had a question about your social life in high school, because I think people don't really think about social life as adults all that much. And I think they should. And my question was about the fact that I think theater kids are really different from like music kids and the yeah. kids that like join a band. And you are an example of someone that I met. Similarly, my best friends were never theater people. Yeah. Growing up. They weren't the band kids. I wasn't that cool. But no, I don't think the band kids are very cool in my high school. It depends on where you were. But I guess I'm curious about someone who chooses to make most of their career in theater, but doesn't necessarily identify 100% as a theater kid, at least socially. I would call you a theater kid in the sense that we were just gossiping and laughing about (laughs) casting and Sondheim and all these different things, but your besties aren't necessarily all the theater geeks. Yeah. I really do feel like a theater kid until I am in a crowd of theater kids that's how I feel feel like an outcast yeah and I felt this way my whole life and I don't I still don't really know how to navigate it except for just continuing to like have as many different kinds of friends as possible I feel like I'm very pragmatic about statistics in life and it you can feel yourself fighting against statistics and you get to choose which ones you want to fight against I'm very aware that it is it's a statistic that somebody my age with my kind of upbringing, when I have a kid, there's a huge possibility that I'm going to move to the suburbs. Charlie and I have no plans on getting married, but statistically, yeah, we probably will. There's just so much that you can choose to fight against. And one of those things is theater kids just are friends with other theater kids and nobody else. And then theater keeps getting made about theater, which honestly I love. I have come full circle on Horse Line where now I'm just like, do I love this Did you hate it? Yeah. Wow. I think when I was younger, I found it really masturbatory. And now I'm just like, can you believe they let devise theater on a Broadway stage? (laughs) Like now I'm just like. In the 70s? Yeah. Crazy. It's the sickest thing ever. The melodies are weird. Yeah. Really not intuitive and amazing. And like the choreography like hurts my whole body. But I'm glad I know it. Yeah. It's cool. I love it. I'm back, Charlie. It's my boyfriend. At what point do I ask him to watch every little step with me? Oh, I've certainly forced almost every person in my life to watch it. I prefer every little step to a course. And I think in, my, in terms of watching a movie, 100%. Yeah. But if we were, I I would like to see Chorus Line on stage with people sure. who couldn't dance it down. The dancing is amazing. Yeah. There's, there's no getting around it. But it's interesting what you say because it's what some people talk about and I have talked about that. I feel really grateful, and this leads in a great way into my next question. I feel really grateful that I went to a liberal arts school because I feel strongly that you see a lot of musical theater actors and actors today who went to conservatory and they're playing these roles that are like politicians or doctors or whatever it is, and they have no understanding of what that is because they've like never took a class about it, never read a book about it. Like just there's their only reference point is theater. And it makes sense what you're saying. Like you can do shows that are about theater if that's yeah. the case. Um, but it's interesting that you're taking that a step further and saying too, you need to have friends in your life who do things beyond theater. Yeah. And I think it's also helpful. I'm lucky enough to be close with many people who are in helping professions. That is really important for me to carry with me when I go to an audition for some teen somewhere. And I'm like, theater is saving the world. Something that my dad tells me every day. And I'm just like, I, it's good for me to remember that theater is so vital and so important. And I'm like a huge fan. And I know people who are like boots on the ground, like actually saving lives every day. And it's good for me to know and love them to just for perspective not to hate on myself or be like what are you doing with your life just for perspective absolutely 
I think everyone needs that. It's helpful to remember if someone is screaming about why the prop bird isn't like big enough or funny enough, it's important to remember what we're all doing here. Yeah. Which is, I, as you say, like, I believe it does save lives, but yeah, is also not literally. Yeah, it's tough. It's a, it's an interesting balance. Because theater saved my life. Like, I love theater so much, but I wonder at what point, if you're working in theater and you're up there every day, whatever, you are one of the luckiest people on earth it is so unbelievably difficult for the dominoes to line up for you to even get in the audition room never mind and it's not i'm not talking about like talent or like you're lucky to have been born the most talented girl it's more if i mean you get it it's insane that anybody ends up doing this it's insane that i ended up doing this not only that it's just so lucky most people hate their jobs most people go to work and it's like soul-sucking And not only that, most people go through life and they have no idea what they want to do and they have no idea what they like. That's most people. I want to go back to the transition. You went to Baldwin-Wallace. You mentioned when I asked you, you've got a bachelor's in music, but it was in the music theater department. Can you talk about that experience and how you ended up there and all that jazz? Getting a bachelor of music was the best. It is not helpful. Like, it, I'm saying for me and my dilly-dallying in music all the time, I'm so glad I have a music degree. Do I think that musical theater programs should be housed in conservatories, like music conservatories rather than fine arts programs? No, probably not. I think it's cool, cool that we were over there. I think it's mostly because the conservatory at BW has mad money and the fine arts department didn't, I don't think. so. Right. That was great. But that was a gift for me, Livy. I and I recognized that. I got to be friends with minimalism comp bros and I got to learn why intricately why certain music makes me excited and, and stuff like that. There's also a way to go through that program where you don't retain any of that and you just get your homework done and you focus on because all musical theater programs are basically just a boot camp to get your butt on Broadway. And what that means for most programs are set up in such a way where it's really a boot camp to get yourself an agent. Yeah. Which is crazy because you talk to Gen X Broadway people and they're just like, I didn't have an agent for 10 years and now I'm the famous person. Now with the Jimmy Awards and all these different things, (laughs) I'm not going to focus on the Jimmy's to Broadway pipeline on this podcast, but There is no sense of job hierarchy anymore in the theater. It used to be that you could do summer stock. And then if you were good enough at summer stock, you could go do some regional gigs. And then if you were good at regional gigs, you could go to some on Broadway. And then maybe you could go do some Broadway. And now it's just the crazy thing is like off Broadway is like this mystery to people who go to these BFA programs. And I I have a BM, but it's essentially a BFA. But the... (laughs) I have noticed, and this could be completely fake, but I don't, tell me if you agree, but I've noticed that there's there's these two theater girls that you can be, genderless girls. You can be, you can go to Juilliard or Yale or Honeyman, but mostly those two, and then you can get paid fucking pennies to do the most hard-hitting off-Broadway intellectual whatever and then you can be on HBO and then you can do a big movie and then you can come back and do Jessica Chastain in the microwave whatever which I didn't see it I'm, I'm assuming it was incredible but I couldn't afford it that's one route and it's shaped like a candy cane there's another route where you go to a musical theater program because at some point in your life you figured out how to belt a D-natural which is what it takes to be on Broadway right now you do summer stock right after you get out of school and then you do you understudy and then you whatever and you're you never get out of the Broadway bubble but you like maybe you're even comfortably middle class maybe you even get married and have a kid and you live in Cobble Hill like you're just not going to ever be able to touch straight theater unless it is massively comical or yeah so- unless you're Adina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth 20 years ago right. doing Wicked like a show or like Hamilton like a show that right. touches that breaks the Broadway bubble as it were and becomes mainstream yeah 
And then you get to do TV or Sometimes. whatever. Do you get to be on Succession? Oh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's it's so interesting. I have trouble thinking of anything hierarchically anymore because I have I know how much people get paid. And that's something that's crazy about that they don't tell you in school. We did not learn this at BW or if we didn't, nobody was listening. And I wish that there was a class that was like how to be broke for a while because no one can be specific about the art that they do. Whatever girl is picked to be like the Sondheim girly in your class is not going to work for a very long time. It's so hard to make enough money to live and everyone that you're jealous of besides the really famous people when you're on Instagram in college they all tutor or they yeah they work at a summer camp and the jobs that you're in that you have time for if you're auditioning heavily don't pay well at all it's a very interesting this dichotomy you're talking about because you're right that the sort of intellectual best that straight theater has to offer right or even best that musical theater has to offer quote unquote let's say you're doing a broadway show at lincoln center theater which is still a lort theater and you're one of these girlies that just graduated from yale or juilliard or whatever you're making lord a weekly your favorite nations and it's a limited engagement and you're probably not working the rest of the year right and yet Let's say you're you're lucky enough to book Nessa in Wicked. Right. You're making a lot more money, but people are a little bit turning their nose down at you, being like, oh, she's a musical theater girl. It's just, yeah. it's such an interesting dichotomy because as you say, you can be one of these sort of statusy straight theater girls and then maybe you book an HBO show and then you're just in right. a different category. Yeah. But you don't this learn Bidong is just, how mean am I allowed to be about where I went to college? It, that's up to you. <laughs> I think something that has been talked about on my show before, almost every person who's been on my show who went to a conservatory has like a grain of salt to bring totally. to their conservatory. And I think musical theater conservatory programs were a recent invention. It's something we've talked about on the show before is that when you listen to a Broadway cast album like in a chorus line today, it can be really jarring on the ear because you're like, oh, wow, people were allowed to have like different voices. Yeah, yeah. Dude. Yeah. And now everyone is trained in this very specific way to belt in this very specific way, as you say, to a, to a D, natural. You can mix after that, though. After that, you can mix. <laughs> but all of that is to say that I think people are talking about how I mean, it's trade school, as you say. 110% it is trade school. I feel like I always joke that the nice thing that I can say about school is I feel like I have an MBA in selling me to this industry. Yeah. and Which I is valuable. That. It's incredibly valuable. It's a little depressing, but I also feel I was never, I wasn't coddled at all, at all. That being said, it was really tough. I was crying most of the time. I was in class from 7 a.m. till 5.30, and then I was in rehearsals from 7 to 11 every single day. And we had master class on Saturdays, which is when the industry people would come, and everyone was so nervous. Master class was especially tough because it ultimately like really worked for the people who could make it work, and it's not a bad thing, but... It's like truly a parade of watching absolutely terrified people do not their best, like over and over again. And it's heartbreaking. And there's some people who just don't get nervous like that. And to those people, pop off. That's not a bad thing. If you don't get nervous, that's great. But there was a lot of people who were better on stage than I ever saw them do in masterclass simply because they were freaking out. And there was no emotional literacy baked into the curriculum at all. And just from a completely like stone cold view of the whole thing, it is in any musical theater program's best interest to help students with nerves. The joke is that three kids from every BFA class will ever make it to Broadway and only one of them will ever have a career. Colton Ryan was in my class. I'm never going to have a career, <laughs> but I think I would like to see a Broadway stage with my eyes one time. <laughs> you will. 
what sucks is or not sucks what's great is that it's truly like a numbers game and like it's gonna happen pretty soon i think at a certain point it's very depressing i remember a woman who was older than i that i did a reading with i forget how it came up but she said what you said she was like it's a numbers game at the end of the day if you're my age and you're still in the industry like you will book you might not be playing a teenager when you're on Broadway, but yeah. well, you could my be. Recently, it would indicate that I have much more time of being a teenager. So talk to me about that because it's something we've been skirting. And it's something I haven't yet written about, but have been like, planning an article about. Last year when Taylor Swift's Midnights came out and she had that lyric that was like, everyone's a sexy baby. I just like really felt is it. Is that a my... lyric? A Taylor Swift lyric? Yes, Everyone's girl. A sexy baby. An anti anti-hero. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like everybody is a sexy baby and I'm a monster on the hill. And when I first heard that lyric, I was like, that's insane. And then I was like, it's true. It's true. It's particularly true on Broadway. And the reason I say that is because most women these days, just because of the material that's being written, are being asked to play teenagers well into their mid to late thirties. But at the same time, well, scientifically, a woman cannot be real unless she's a daughter or a mother. So true. It's like the Sally Field thing. Right. Oh, the Sally Field thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But with social media today, this might be different for you. I've talked about this with some of my female actor friends. I do think that sometimes we are also rewarded for sexualizing ourselves. Yeah online so everyone is a sexy baby uh-huh. especially in musical theater you so i want to throw hear about a backpack that. on and say i'm late to chem because you yeah. have to have a six-pack while you're doing yeah it's crazy yeah okay so you moved to new york yeah. were you expecting to be typecast as this teenager yes that was my whole okay. experience too so at least i had people looking me in the face and be like don't learn anything from flawless it's not going to happen. Sure. People were telling me that Wicked wasn't an option for me because they were in college. And I had just graduated college. So I was like, okay. And it's been like that the whole time I've been here. And I don't mind it that much because I'm, I'm always thankful to be learning any new material. That's another thing that I've made my career for better or for worse, like, doing readings i do yeah. more readings than anyone i know and it's such a blessing i can sight read from my weird music degree which is so fun i love sight reading it is like one of my greatest joys no that genuinely makes you beloved by by musicians though i can read music but i'm, I'm not a good sight reader there's a huge difference not everyone knows that, that that's a huge difference it's just more it makes it makes doing musicals more fun mm-hmm. and so i'm having more fun I don't think that it's like a prerequisite to working in any way. No, I don't think so. But I, I think it makes it easier to, as you say, learn new material and learn fast and learn it once. And then I get to like skip to the part where I'm making fun choices instead of being like, what's that interval? And that to me is such a gift that I got from this like random choice that I made when I was 18 to go to this school that I only chose because it was the cheapest. And I was like, I guess I'm getting a music degree. That's cool because I love music. And then it became... A huge part of my experience there but where's i going with this you were talking about playing teenagers and oh my god how you so, feel that everyone's a sexy baby when it's a sexy baby i have two photos in my audition binder one of my boyfriend when he was 16 skateboarding over this like rocky area of this bridge in our hometown and one of me at senior prom looking absolutely horrified to exist just like out of my body like so much makeup on but like it stops at the neck just yeah heinous <laughs> what did you wear <laughs> little pink dress gotta little love it pink. and it was it's truly like both of these photos give me so much access to how strange and cringy it is to be 16 and it helps me with auditions however i don't necessarily see that being like the end all be all to play teens on broadway when a lot of it has to do with being like hot accessible and charismatic and for a long time i was like that's not how teens really are and now i'm meeting more teens and i'm like 
Maybe that's proteins are now. <laughs> Maybe they're yeah. not just like full of charisma and good at doing makeup. But I think that's also a fallacy because I know plenty of teens who will just wake up every day screaming a little bit the way that I did when I was a teen. It's hard for me to access that. I, th- I think it's hard for me too. I have a ton of practice from yeah. just the roles that I go in for. And I, I try not to change my speaking voice too much. And I try not to change my base essence too much because I think that's a whole lot to do for an audition and never serves me. Yeah. I'm going to be a completely new person. It's all right. You haven't even, you haven't even asked the director how they're doing today. Maybe don't make yeah. that. Just do the best you can being yourself. Does it make you ambivalent about eventually entering your 30s? No, I think because my social media presence is so small, like my actor Instagram is barely a thing. My band Instagram is also my personal Instagram and that's where most of my followers are. And like, I'm happy about that. I've been thinking about combining the two just because like, I'm sick of, I hate social media and having two of them is like, terrible. why did I choose this? Yeah, I forgot that you had two of them until yeah. I was doing I made my it- research for this. I mean, I made it during Broadway vacation because when we were in talks to transfer, I was like, oh, maybe this is a good idea to have a second Instagram where I'm more of just an actor. And as I barely use it. And I think it's a huge choice to not be really active on social media if you're going to be in and around theater. And I know that I'm making it. It's not like I'm being lazy. It's pretty intentional. I think the more people know about me in that way, I'm giving them a lot of power. And... I don't necessarily mind being open about my experiences and my feelings, but I struggled a long time with whether to put my, this is such a trend, putting your ethnicity flags for for mixed Mm. folks in your bio. Because I was like, why do I have to prove to the world? Do you have them? Did you do it? I did because everyone around me was like, it is never a bad idea because they can't ask you. But it's good for people right. to know. But then I, in my head, I was like, do people actually know what these look like? You know this, but I have a Jewish dad and a mom, my mom's biracial. She's Dutch and Indonesian. Do average white Americans know what the Indonesian or Dutch flags look like? Probably not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Probably. So it's, and does it matter to me that much that I'm mixed? not from a casting perspective that seems to be a headache for other people but for me it's like perfectly clear because it's who I am yeah but in terms of life experience it's like such a huge part I love being mixed it's a it's nothing but a blessing for me I but yeah it's tough even showing your body on Instagram is you are giving up so much of your privacy and I think if people feel embodied and sexy and they want to post a hot picture of them on Instagram they should do it but the first part of that sentence remains true. If you're feeling... Yeah, because then it. you're also competing with yourself. Or at least I've right. felt this sometimes. Yes. Because then you can scroll back to your old photos and be like, damn, when I was 22, I looked so good. Right. And then not only are you competing with every, every other woman on Instagram, but you're competing with old pictures of yourself. It's hard. I feel that way there's been a trend of people putting their Jewish star on their Instagrams. And for me, I'm sort of like, well, if you you can't tell, you need to go get yourself checked out. But even how people decide to describe themselves, you know how you can say on Instagram, actor, artist, whatever it is. I've changed what it says so many times because head store for a second. Because I was like, I think that's funny. It's good. On that subject, I want to talk because obviously I mentioned we've alluded to it. You have this other career as a singer-songwriter. I want to ask about how that started and connected to our current discussion. Do you ever feel pressure to choose? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. And it's so funny because it's self-inflicted pressure. Nobody's banging down my door and being like, you need to commit. After the structure of college, I really just got to do whatever I wanted and I was pretty burnt out. So what I wanted to do was be creative and sing on my own time. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you learn to play guitar, by the way? the I bought my first guitar and started to learn how to play three or four months before we met. 
Oh, okay. So I was really late to the game. And I was really, as somebody who is like doggedly focused, I was really like lecturing myself. Like in my notes app, in my logo, I was like, don't you dare get distracted. You didn't come to the city to like fuck around and write music. Like as somebody who has such a comprehensive knowledge of music, I was just like, there's no way that you're going to be good at this, which I've now learned doesn't matter. That's so mean to yourself. I had no idea. Be lady to me. And I was like, don't get distracted. Just have fun. You need a creative outlet, whatever. And then... I absolutely did. I got super distracted. I started to be like, is this what I want to do with my life? This was also at the height of this weird, like, folk girly boom that was happening. And so I had this terrible breakup and I had a lot to process and then sat on it for a while because I was, like, auditioning a lot. And then I I cut the record. My friend Bryce, they're a genius, um, helped me produce it. And then we put out the record on Bandcamp to recoup. Which it, recouping in that in that record w- was you know less than twelve hundred dollars. Like if I and I I paid my musicians well, but that was a spare record. Um, and then we don't have to get into it, but I had had a record deal it fell through because of the sexual harassment thing, and <laughs> classic. And now I'm looking down on the other end of this weird journey where I had a burgeoning songwriting career and then it didn't pop off. Because of shitty things that are not my fault, but still feel like I have weird guilt about it. And now it's TikTok. You have to put something else out. But I've been so busy doing theater that I'm like, oh, shit. It is really hard to balance everything, especially because everything that I just mentioned costs money. Auditioning costs money because you have to take off work. And sometimes you have to get a warm-up room. And making music costs money because... Sometimes you need an Uber to get your shit to the venue. It's a lot for me. I'm easily overwhelmed. I know people more tenacious than I that are currently like hustling. Everyone on Broadway has an EP now. It's true. But there's, but it's not, and I, this is not, I'm not trying to be like, because I am exactly like other girls in that um, I just want something to be fucking mine. Honestly, I think that is something that is essential to being a woman is just wanting something that's yours. And the my music that I write is mine. And me as a human entity and not as an actor is not very interested in musical theater music right now. Yeah. And so my music project has become this thing where like I really don't want it to touch my theater project because I don't want... I find theater so like holy and special and I don't want the cool bullshit of the music industry to ever fuck with it and then in the other way like if i find the pop music that i put pop, pop in heavy quotes that most theater kids are interested in is not what i'm interested in making i don't sure enjoy doing it i made this joke it sounds mean because it probably is but i made this joke at a party recently where i was like it always makes me feel crazy when i talk to theater girls and they're like no i love music too i love sammy ray and lake street dive and whatever. And I'm like, that's musical theater. What are you talking about? And all those things are wonderful. They're the most talented, interesting musicians making music. But we got to get past this NPRification. I know there's not enough time in the day, but we got to fold in some other kinds of music. And I know that pop rock musical theater is just musical theater now. And pop rock was yeah. never a question. Yeah. It was never a part of the musical theater lexicon, except for maybe hair. They are at odds, musical theater and sort of the music world that you operate in. And yeah, it's... which I barely operate in because it's, I really do want to, I only want to do it if it's, if it feels really good and it's fun. And because like, I really do love in like a kind of perverse way, like the grind of musical theater. I don't know if I can do it again. Mm. I don't know if I can like, hustle like that in an in a different industry especially when so much of it is just what lyrical sound by mining your own trauma can you get to pop off on tiktok that's so interesting does one feel like a day job for the other ever no my day job will always feel like my day job you know this i didn't grow up with wealth in any way and i have always had to work and i have almost always worked with babies that's like my main gig And because babies are 
growing and get heavy. My back has hurt for the past five years. It's just my back hurts, but that's a separate. <laughs> also, I injured myself. We are getting older. It's hard to have back pain. Is it? Yes. I guess if you're 25, like you are, it's not, it's not really it. We should sprinkle in six different ages in here and just keep them guessing. Keep them guessing. And that will always feel like my day job is like whatever my day job is. I was a waitress for a hot sec when I got to the city and it was in a really loud restaurant. What restaurant? I don't know what it's called anymore, but it was for a while it was called Blossom and then it was called like Urban Vegan. The vegan place? Yeah. Was it on the Upper West Side? I know they have several locations. The one is West Village. Okay. And it was like always a DJ. Because I got broken up with in the Upper West Side one. What? Yeah. Ew. Yeah, it was horrible. My musical theater boy. Like a burger. He left and I was like, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to eat here. Word. But when I met you, you were vegan. Correct. Anyway, you were working at that restaurant, you were saying. I was working at that restaurant, and it was super loud. And I called my best friend at the time, who's now my boyfriend. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. My voice hurts all the time. And he was like, didn't you move to New York to do Broadway shit? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you should quit that job. And I was like, whoa. And I have had moments like that many times since moving to the city, where somebody outside of theater has been like, Aren't you supposed to be doing that right now? And it's, oh, yeah. I get really caught up in wanting to be a good girl and go to work. and Because you care about what you do, even if it's your quote-unquote day job or survival job. Absolutely. And and that remains that one of the reasons why I love working in theater, despite how difficult it is, I'm so glad that I re-entered after taking this long break, is that it is such a healthy outlet for my need to just do a good job at work, whatever that feels like. What Even like the presence of the union, however flawed it may be, is really healthy for me. I like having that kind of setup. I like having, you know, mandated breaks. I like using my whole embodied self at work makes me feel less like I don't own me. And also, it's fun. And also, I primarily do comedy. And mm-hmm. so that's, like, also a treat. You don't have to answer this question because some people might not want to. But do you have goals? Like, five years from now, do you want to be, like, only doing theater and music is, like, your personal outlet? Do you want to have a second album out? What's the outlook? No, that's a really good question. I've been going through a lot of changes in this arena. For a long time, I just wanted people to stop asking me about my album or my music. And I just wanted to be like, I'm an actor now. Yeah. I feel safe. I'm back. Yeah. I was I was working for a whole year on different iterations of vacation. I felt very safe in that role because it was easy and also fun. And I love the actors playing my boyfriend and my brother, who I spent the most time with. Rohit Gopal and Nathan Levy, two of the sweetest boys alive. I had great people around me. I was jumping into something headfirst so that I didn't have to think about how bummed I was about music. And then recently, I've been like, I miss my girly music. And I want to be around her again, even though it's going to be a huge wave of humility because I've fallen so far behind focusing on this other shit but my goal for musical theater is so much more linear which is i would just like to keep seeing how far this could go and if what i've accomplished now is all i've accomplished i'm still pretty proud of myself i've done a hell of a lot of new work i've originated roles i haven't been on broadway yet but i think like you said i just keep trucking i think that it could and will happen i don't feel the need to be that specific about musical theater primarily because i hope to be incredibly specific about stuff that i make with my own hands like Mm. music or like writing a musical someday or something like that which is something i've toyed around with but like i don't know it's hard it is hard (laughs) but i heard you have been thinking about that for a long time yeah it does seem like a good combination of your skill it's definitely it would definitely break open the venn diagram that is two separate circles it would create a middle field that i am nervous about but 
recently I had this like moment where I was like, what do I want? I've never really asked myself, what do I want? Which is so cheesy, but also I think everybody who's in their late 20s should do that. And I was like, what are the five things that are the most important to me in my life? And maybe if I figure that out, it'll make other things more clear about what I should be focusing on or whatever. And I could only come up with four things. And I think that it's enough. And it was like maintaining recovery because I had an eating disorder that almost took my life away. And that is the number one thing that I need to be focusing on at all times somewhere in the background. And I think that's true for anybody who's like sober or overcoming some kind of addiction or yeah, it's yeah, that's the number one thing. Doing that in conjunction with trying to pursue musical theater is crazy. But you know, I was going to say it works mostly by not being on Instagram very much. Um, having a self-sustaining arts community where no matter what happens to me, I would know that my work and my family, which right now is just like my partner, is protected. Money. money. Enough money to live. Like not to, not, I'm not trying to like, I'm just, I want to get over the days where I was like very idealistic about money and just look, look, into my bank account and never be scared in either direction. I never want to be surprised. I never want to look into my bank account and be like, whoa, I'm rich. Or, oh my God, I'm broke. I didn't know. I just want to have a handle on that shit. I think a lot of people, our generation, grew up with parents that were like, and we don't talk about that. And if you talk about it, it's either somewhere on the spectrum of gauche or inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And then you end up like hitting this maybe a financial strata at some point in your life and actually not knowing what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And then I see that as like a, a big danger for me because I love my parents, but they were very like money is the root of all evil type people. And they could be right, but it doesn't help me pay my no. bills. On yeah. <laughs> you do live in America. So. Yeah, I live here. <laughs> in New York. In New York. Yeah, no less. Oh, wait, I'm not saying my name. In, in Brooklyn. Williamsburg's big. What it's fine. What else? I'm so rambly today. I appreciate your... You're not rambly. It's good. I do think that one, an in-person conversation elicits more of a sort of like trackless conversation. And yeah. two, we are very close friends, yeah. which not all of my guests are like that. So yeah. I know your parents' first and last names. <laughs> sure. And I, as I know yours. So... That makes for a different conversation. But I also, like I was saying to you before, Livy was being very humble at the top of our conversation before we started recording and being like, you have all these famous people on the podcast, which first of all, no. But she was like, how can I go? And my point is that I think variety is so important. And to be able to have a very theoretical, intellectual discussion about a book like Shy and a historical character. And then in the next week have at once like a gossip sesh slash really intense discussion about money and what it actually takes to make it in musical theater and make a career. I think that's why people come to the podcast. Who knows? But I I'm, think so. I, I hope in like a selfish way, I hope that maybe I can look back on this after I'm in a good stride of my, like a really good stride of my career. I hope it can be like, oh, that was a, what kind of like, mindset did I need to be in to make that happen for myself and I hope I actually not I hope I believe that this is it whatever I've come to at this juncture in my life feels like the best I've ever felt as an actor which is that's great it's also kooky because I'm not doing much but I've been auditioning you know this that I did hair I immediately left to go do that show at the Oak Globe Life After brilliant show Britta Johnson, who wrote it, is a genius and one of my sisters in this life. She's so good. After I did that, I had a long time of auditioning before I took my break, before the pandemic took a break for everybody. And during that year of auditioning, I, it almost broke me. I didn't know how to handle that because I don't know how to shut my brain off. And every single audition felt like I was going through every identity factor about myself and deciding before I even got in the room like why it was an issue and then I just didn't audit I didn't audition for Broadway Vacation yeah I worked for a year before really like auditioning again so when I got back from Seattle I was like 
oh, shoot, I'm going to have to audition again for the first time in years. And I feel like I finally taught myself how to do it without going insane. And it's not just beta blockers, but that <laughs> it was a huge scale. I had huge issues with it. Did you really? Oh, my God. I got so nervous. And it, like you were saying before, no one talks to you about nerves. The first person who ever talked to me, I took some sort of like either growing studio or something class with these casting directors. And I met with one of them after. And he said to me, he was like, I can tell you're very talented, but I can also tell you're dealing with extreme nerves. Mm -hmm. He was the first person to name it for me. And he was like, have you considered like meditating, which was not good for me. I can't meditate. But it just blew my mind that it's something that we don't talk about really beyond don't be nervous. Don't be nervous, especially in these programs where the stakes are so high and the desperation. It's so hard because... I've heard stories of people will say like the girl from my senior showcase who got like 35 agent offers was like drunk the whole time and just didn't give a shit. And now she's a preschool teacher in her hometown and never really wanted this. And it feels like that a lot of the time. You know what I mean? No, I I think it does. And I also think auditioning is a skill Mm -hmm. separate from performing, in my opinion. There are some amazing performers that are terrible auditioners and amazing auditioners that then get on stage and you're like, who did we cast? Which now sometimes being on the other side of the table is very interesting for me to see. I think that the casting process itself is demonized a lot without any solutions. I have found that I really just had to look at myself in the face and be like, you want to work, right? You're really good at rehearsing and working. This is that annoying thing you have to do so that you can do that other thing. 100%. I did audition for Audrey. I de-aged in that show. Did I tell you about that? I was a millennial intern ensemble track. It was like broad, yuck, yuck comedy. I was having the time of my life uh-huh. just being insane in the ensemble. Uh-huh. For years, I did this reading. I did the same track. It was like millennial slash as cast. And then eventually they brought in people for the On Its Feet production. It wasn't going to be in readings anymore. And I went in for the understudy, I think, or they just had me read for Audrey in the room. And I Figured that would to be happen. clear, Audrey is the daughter in yes, Broadway the, vacation. The nuclear family, yeah. she's the eldest daughter. And I had so much fun because they were all my friends from like years of working on this show. I did not think it was for anything but the understudy track. I knew that the understudy track would be given to whomstever had the notes and it wasn't that big of a deal. So I just did it like I like to do things, like a one woman comedy show of idiocy and they were like whoa can you come back and do that shit again next week i was like okay and i literally walked into that room being like this is so funny i wonder if this is for the role that's it because all the girls in the hallway were new they weren't from the reading so Mm -hmm. i was like i wonder if this is for the role lol did my audition didn't hear for two weeks and then both but i remember emailing my agents and being like i just did my callback was that for the role and they were like, yeah. And I was like, am I being considered for the ensemble anymore? And they were like, no. And I was like, so I got to get this shit or I'm not even going to do this show. And then you did. And then I did. But the nerves, all those nerves, the anxiety set in after I had already done all the work. And it was like a blessing from the heavens. They were like, Libby, do you want to feel like you've accomplished something because the circumstances were very special and like right for you? But I think that's almost always, almost every person I have on this show with a couple exceptions when they talk about like their break or like the first time that they felt successful in the industry is a situation like that, which goes back to what you are saying before, which everyone is talented. Every person is talented. Everyone's talented. It's love. It's it's timing and luck and connections and obviously also talent. But everyone is talented. Everyone is talented, truly. And also, this is going to sound so icky, but what is talented? Because being talented in a Broadway setting is like a set of metrics that is so random. And the writing keeps happening that supports that set of metrics. And it just keeps 
building up on itself. Like you said, you listen to an old cast reporting or even you meet like an old Broadway legend and you're like, who is that? It's so magnetic because it's like nothing you've seen before. That's the difference between acting talent and performing talent and then musical theater, which sometimes can become very technical. Can you belt to a D natural? Can you do a triple without falling out? And I just, I'm not really interested in that brand of talent. I think it's exciting. I'm the biggest Sutton Foster stand in the world right. and she represents that type of talent in some ways. But I tend to like people that are a little more interesting on stage. When I was in college, I was obsessed with Jen Cody. Uh-huh. I was like, how can I do that? Or Megan Lawrence is another one. Yeah. Just like short weirdos who have funny voices or can do funny voices. And then I recently worked with Jen with vacation mm-hmm. and I got to watch her work and it was so surreal. All through college, people were like, You should look at this girl's career. Allie Mozzie was another one. Love Allie Mozzie. I love I, I live and die for her. And she's so good in Kimberly Kimbo. Yeah. Oh, incredible. But I think that this is like something that I keep coming up against is I could angle myself and train myself to be a specific girl. And I know many of them, and I want so badly to be them most of the week. But every once in a while, I'll wake up in the morning and be like, no, I think I just want to be as weird as I possibly can be while still being unbelievably respectful to the writers, who are always my favorite people in the room. But that's who you are. People say be yourself on stage, which is okay, but it's true. The summer that we did hair... Because a lot of people were doing here that summer. And I went for Chrissy a bunch of times in other productions. And I remember once this one this one was being auditioned. And I was like, you got to let me give Jeannie a try. Because I think if they let me do Jeannie, I think I'll book it. And they did. And I did. And I was like, I looked really different at the time. I look more like I do now. And that was another thing was after I got out of recovery, I gained a lot of weight really fast and had a really easy time getting into the rooms I wanted to get into because chubby girls had to do comedy. But because I've always wanted to do comedy, it was like, whoa, that annoying, quirky best friend character. I was getting to go in for all of her, all of those girls. And then I got to do what I consider to be one of the greatest quirky best friends ever written, which was Hannah and Life After. God, at the time of my life in that show really sad show but my track wasn't mm-hmm. that was crazy we would walk out after the show every night and i had just spent the last two hours making an absolute buffoon of myself and then the family who went through this terrifyingly sad greek play would all walk out behind me with their heads down and they'd be like you guys going back to the apartments and they're like yeah i think i'm just gonna shower and take care of myself and i was like oh no <laughs> i'm ready to party so yeah. people were laughing at me I love being comic relief. Comic relief in a sad show is actually the princess track. Oh, completely. Because also the audience is so excited for you to be there. Yes, I'm making them laugh. Freaking star of the world. Yeah. Yeah, it was not good. My ego was completely overblown at the time. It was great. I'm going to do my little ending segment. Okay. The thank you five segment, which is five questions. Just to answer off the top of your head. Not unlike a Vogue 73 questions, but. I have a lower budget, so just five. Just five. Do you have a favorite song you've ever written? I think my favorite song right now, I have this song called 1.8 Million that I'm really proud of about mortgages and stuff. Everyone go check it out on SoundCloud. It's, it's not Thank out it. yet. Oh, it's it not out good. yet. I can't wait to listen. I was going to say, because I feel like I know your music pretty well, and I was like, I don't know. It's new. It's okay. coming out. Great. Did you have a favorite vacation movie before you booked the show or no? No, I've still not seen any of them. Wow. So you just did it fresh. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the way to do it. During one of the readings, somebody made reference to one of the movies and I was like, oh, I've never seen them. And Steve was like, that's good. Don't watch them until we get on Broadway. And then I was like, so superstitious that I was like, I guess I can't. I guess they're barred from me. (laughs) Do you have a favorite Brooklyn bar or eatery? Oh, my God. My favorite club right now is Mansions because it's carpeted, and I think that's nasty and fun. And my favorite restaurant is probably 
Kings County Imperial on Skillman. There's one in East Billy too. Or Logan we went together. Side. Yes, that's right. Oh my God. Yeah. So good. Dude, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, it's pricey. Bring cool people like I brought Katie. And so obviously it felt cool. We had a double date. It was great. And Colin showed up looking so hot. And Charlie and I looked completely. That's so scared. not true. No, it's true. You had a little black cocktail dress on and like your hair looked so beautiful. And I think I was wearing overalls and I was like, no, oh, shit. That's so funny because I always think of you as like the style icon. Like even I was looking at your sweater today. I was like, I want that sweater. Dude, this is Charlie's and I'm pretty sure it's J. Crew. So don't even my taste. (laughs) I answered this question, but do you think there's a trick to playing a teenager? Oh, yeah. I think it's like remembering when you were a teen. For me, that's my trick. Yeah. It's really helpful. My last question, I ask almost everyone this because you do these two very interesting different things you can have two different answers what is to you an actor's essential and then what is a songwriter's essential and remember these can be like very practical like a songwriter's essential could be like your guitar or like paper or it could be more woo woo like creativity or whatever you want to say okay an actor's essential this goes back to what i was saying earlier but i would say perspective it's a really good answer. I don't know if anyone has said that, and I think that's a really good answer. It helps me. Yeah. I t- you know me. I'll take anything too seriously if given just an ounce of having <laughs> to do so. I Yeah. Perspective. And then for songwriters essential, notes app. <laughs> Is that how you write all your lyrics? Yeah. Yeah. But I so badly want to be uh, like a notebook and pen person and be all romantic about it. And that's how I am about like, journaling and other things but in terms of like uh voice memos app and uh notes app they're on my home screen where instagram and spotify used to be <laughs> on purpose you're just like taylor swift and look you know this about me but i don't know taylor swift at all she's released like voice memo versions of her various oh really like how they started that's like, vulnerable no one's ever gonna hear my voice memo that's for sure well, Livy, this has been so fun I didn't keep to my outline basically at all, which hopefully, no, it's good. Hopefully my listeners enjoy this freer kind of discussion. Is there anything you feel like we didn't cover that you want to say or anything you want to plug? No, I have an EP coming out at the end of the year and it's untitled right now, but yeah, I'll just be on the lookout for it. It's, it's just leftover songs that I need to get out and still morning glory. It'll be on that Instagram. I think so. Yeah. I think so. I, w- I, for a long time, was like, I think I'm just going to be living Marcus all the time. And most people thought that was a good idea. The six people who are my best friends were like, no. And so I think maybe I'm just going to stick with Well, Livy, this has been so fun. I love these types of discussions. I'm really <laughs> glad we did it in person. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we clearly enjoyed it. As always, let me know if you have questions or comments. Some really exciting episodes are coming up in the next few weeks. It's been really fun to return to podcasting land from any land, and I hope everyone has a great week.